Adventure Rider Radio Raw, a roundtable-style spinoff from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month about motorcycle travel. And on this episode of Raw, episode 93, we are talking about top mistakes motorcycle travelers make. And today, I think some on this panel will have trouble admitting that this is the their own mistakes that they're talking about. All that and more coming up. Before we get going, I want to give a shout out to some people who have helped the show incredibly this past month with support of $50 or more for Adventure Rider Radio and Raw. Ken McNair, Tom Dierschika, and John Sirabassi from Emmaus Moto Tours. Thank you so much, you guys. It's just great to have people appreciate what we're doing and help the show out by supporting. Hey, you don't have to do $50, but $50 gets you the shout out like you just heard me do. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker. We would really appreciate it if you just drop by Adventure Rider Radio and click on support. Now that I've said that, just in case Raw is a new discovery for you and you don't know about our flagship show is Adventure Rider Radio. It comes out every week. It's extremely popular. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com and have a look if you don't know about that already and you can find it anywhere podcasts are found as you do with Raw. Well, here we go. Adventure Rider Radio Raw for October 2023. It does. What a great idea. All right, let's get going. Recorded live from the Canoe S Media Studio deep in the wild forests of North America. This is Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind. Completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today the virtual roundtable afforded really through the magic of the internet, and I'll get to why. I'm joined by everyone that should be here, all the regular Overland co-hosts we have. I'm going to start with Michelle Lampfair because, well, Michelle, tell us, what is your situation? Where are you right now? I'm sitting in a taxi uh, driving along the beach in Florida. How cool is that? <laughs> that is so neat. Yeah, you know, this I is think where, so too. This is where technology is amazing, isn't it? You know, and, and we, we just chatted as we do before we start our recording here on Skype. So we're looking at each other and it's just so bizarre to see you sitting in a car buzzing down the road. I mean, it's just so neat. <laughs> this, is, this is pretty cool. It is. It's super cool. And especially because it's getting cold in South Dakota, I felt like it was the perfect time to get out of there before the snow flies. Right. I was, I was going to ask, so what are you running from? Is this because of the last episode where you made the declaration about <laughs> reaching behind the uh, at customs, I believe it was somewhere you reach behind and grabbed a stamp and you're running from that now. So if you want to just expand on that. <laughs> right. No, I'm actually not running, but I'll have to say I got a message or two from a few friends who were teasing me about that story. So <laughs> I, I'm going to have to be selective on my future confessions on the show. Oh, right. <laughs> Somebody sell Michelle a large bottle of gin quick. We don't want to miss out on these. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no. So I'm just, I'm just escaping winter. I'm, I'm on the verge of an adventure and I'll, I'll have more details. Um, I guess as, as the next several weeks go along, I'll be kind of out and about for, yeah, a, f- a few weeks. So I'll keep you posted. A few weeks? How how long are you on this trip for? Uh, 10 weeks. Fantastic. <laughs> 10 weeks. 10 weeks. Wow. 10 weeks, yeah. That's amazing. Let, let's bring yeah. in the others here. Let's bring in Sam Manicom. Sam is in the UK. Hello, Sam. How are you? Hey, Jim. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Um, I tell you, I'm, I'm sitting here with a smile actually, because you know, folks who listened to the last episode of Raw will know that after weeks of problems with Birgit's bike and the time that we had for our trip to Ireland filtering away, we decided to go over there in her car. And that was quite a weird sensation to begin with. I mean, four wheels just don't go around corners the same, do they? 
But um, I was just delighted that we were going to see some of Ireland. And yeah, well, you know, being flexible, that's all part of an overlanding adventure riding, isn't it? And I, I always love that saying about one door closing and the next opening. It's just so true, isn't it? Anyway, we had an absolute ball on our unexpected adventure and it was kind of fun learning how to travel in a new way. And it was certainly very nice coming back on the ferry because we managed to take full advantage of two people's um, duty levels for duty free. Um, so, yeah, the car clinked a little bit as we drove back into the UK. Um, but over the nine days we were there, we just, yeah, we saw so much amazing countryside and fascinating history. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be back. Um, but next time on our bikes. And while I'm talking about this, I'd like to just say thank you to um, all Irish friends because we were, so many people were in touch with us along the way um, to a large extent because they'd heard that we were going to be in Ireland on Raw. And um, people were popping up with suggestions. Mm, nice. Oh, you've got to go and see this and don't forget to do that and um, try this pub and, you know, all of those sorts of things, which was really nice. So thanks very much, everybody. Very cool. Wow, that's really neat. And and I want to talk more about this because you mentioned about the clinking in, in your bags when you came back. And I'm curious about why you like their bottled milk so much, but we can talk about that in a little bit. First, I want to bring in Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hello, everyone. Sun shining, blue sky, got a cloud in the sky. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. And Sam, some of the photos we saw of you in Ireland, I think you should have been very grateful to be in a car because it looked bloody cold and wet. There were a couple of days where, um, yeah, <laughs> um, I, I was almost walking around with guy lines for Birgit in case she um, got blown away. <laughs> <laughs> what do they say about Ireland, Shirley? It's, it's, it's a country that needs a roof. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good. And, and the reason I'm talking over Brian when he's saying about the good weather is because this is that time of year where Brian always brags about going riding his motorcycle because you guys are about to go into summer and we're we're rapidly rolling into winter here, which um, in my part of the universe means snow, cold, lousy mm. weather. Oh, well. Which you don't even get. You guys don't even really get it. I mean, you say you get lousy weather, <laughs> relative. but you don't really get that. Like, it's not that bad. Yeah, it's all relative. It's lousy it's, for us, but yeah, it's not as lousy as your lousy. Yeah. It's okay. Jim, I'll do the writing for you, That's what I mean. It's okay. Uh, yeah. No, thanks, Brian. I, I really appreciate that. Grant Johnson is in British Columbia, Canada. Hello, Grant. Hello, everybody. It's good to be back. And I almost wasn't back. 15 minutes before this started, Susan said to me, you've got raw today. I've got what? No, nah, it's tomorrow. Nah. Oh, it is. Oh, whoops. So I come running in here, it's logged in, and everybody was already here on the call. Oh, boy. Okay, so yes, I'm here. Do you, do you know the great thing is, though, Grant, is you do so much advanced work for Raw that I know you've already <laughs> done your research and everything, and you're already up to speed, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, right. This is Raw, remember? <laughs> Unscripted, wasn't that the word? <laughs> right, right. Just follow the script, will you please? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our topic today is uh, top mistakes that motorcycle travelers make. 
I, I think this should be a, a lot of fun. It should be fairly easy because if you just run through your list of mistakes, of course, we're, we've got Sam here to fill in a lot for us. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Jim. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, good one. Sorry, conversation. me again. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, so we, we'll uh, we'll talk about some mistakes and, and maybe talk about ways that we can avoid those. Hey, w- what do you guys think the number one mistake is like, like, you know, if you were to just ask people randomly at, at different overlanding events, what do you, what do you think the most common one would be? Oh, choosing the wrong tires or oil. It's got to be one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's probably the biggest discussions. Yes. Tires, oil. Which bike? Oh, which bike? Which bike? Yeah. What's the best bike? I I can't tell you how many times we see that. But what do you think that the number one is though? The number one mistake. Number one mistake, as opposed to biggest discussion question, I think is too much stuff. Correct. Luggage, luggage, luggage. Overpacking. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I thought. And I thought, well, maybe maybe what we should do is we should just tackle overpacking. Because, Michelle, does your taxi have a beeper for the backup? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it must. (laughs) So are you backing up? That means you've arrived somewhere. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So how how are you going to do it? Are we going to hear you check in? Uh, I hope so. No. Oh, well, I'm I'm sitting outside of the hotel now. So I'm out of the car. I did a ride share. I'm sitting outside with a warm breeze. It's beautiful out here. Yeah. And there's traffic. And I'm sorry about that. No, it's great. I'll see I mean, if I can find a quiet corner. <laughs> no, stay where you are. That's fine. Okay. We, can hear the, we can hear the traffic. It's all environmental noise. I like that. Okay. So are you just going to sit on the curb, you know, like I'm, you have no I'm just home? Gonna, oh, it's not a curb. I'm actually out on a lovely veranda with some kind of comfortable furniture and palm trees. And I think somebody's oh. going to bring me a drink with an umbrella pretty soon. Hang on a second. Yeah. Wasn't that the sound of sleigh bells going past then? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so what, what does the umbrella do? Does it, does that symbolize something? I think it symbolizes vacation. Paradise. Uh, yeah. right. right. You don't put an umbrella in your drink at home. No, that's right. Oh, oh, is that right? What is that, bad luck? I don't know. It's like <laughs> shoes on the table at it. <laughs> shoes on the table. Shoes on the table. That's bad luck. <laughs> so, okay, overpacking. Let's let's tackle that first one. I think that's the the elephant in the room, really. I mean, everybody everybody says overpacking. So I guess the solution is don't pack too much. <laughs> it's such a hard thing. I, I know of people who've gone researching uh, for lists, what did people take? And then they put them all together and collate it and say, that's what I need to take because then I won't miss anything. Because mm. they're, they're, they're thinking they're going into what we would have called once upon a time, the wild darks of Af- darkest Africa. And there's nothing, you can't buy anything. Well, right. that's not true. I mean, you, you can buy just about anything. It might not be the toothpaste you're used to, or Susan had a problem with eye drops, the one that was commonly available in Africa was one that was causing her eye issues and she had to get some stuff, some special stuff in particular places. And it was really hard, but generally you can get anything. I mean, there was somebody talking about uh, the amount of clothing they had to take for the trip they were going on. In three months, they would be somewhere where it was going to cold, it was going to be cold. So they were taking extra layers of clothing, like sweaters and things to wear underneath their riding jackets. In three months, you're going to carry extra sweaters for three months for a month in the cold, and then you're going to carry them for the rest of your trip? No. When you get there, it's cold. 
you will be able to buy a sweater. Not a problem. The locals will have them for sale. Don't take a sweater. You can get a nice touristy one, which ends up being yeah. a souvenir as well as as well as something practical. Absolutely. Idea. There you go. That's a good idea. But but as far as the overpacking goes, let, let's sort of go around the ring here and just see what the method you is you have to stop yourself from overpacking. Michelle, let's start with you. How do you stop yourself from overpacking? Oh, well, I lay out everything. Um all of my clothing, all of my bike parts, toiletries, everything in my camp kitchen, my camp setup, my bedroll, everything. And try and find, I think Sam is, is always really good about reminding us about two uses. So if I can eliminate things that don't have two uses, I try to do that. Um, and I really don't have duplicates. I'm kind of a person who has a tendency to want to take duplicates or spares. And I try now consciously not to do that. I'll buy some bike parts on the road um, or ship things ahead. I carry, of course, you know, the, the usuals that we've talked about before, but I really whittled down clothing and whittled down my camera um, and electronic setup too. How, how do you whittle down your camera and electronic setup? Like, do you have a method like where you're taking one particular device that does something that everything else does, or are you just trying to not take as much? I, I try not to take as much. I used to take a DSLR because I really love the image quality of it. And I still love that, but I'm starting to realize it's such a sacrifice with weight and space that I'm and now that, you know, um, portable phones, cell phones have advanced their cameras so much. They're so technological and the, the resolution is so big um, and memory space is so big on a phone as well that I can just really accomplish a lot even with editing software on my phone now. So I'm almost always using my phone. Um, it doesn't have the Zoom capabilities that I would like. That's the one thing that I still carry a point and shoot for. But the space that you, it used to take up on a bike to carry a DSLR just isn't worth it for me anymore. So I've, I've kind of moved that off of my carry list now. And don't you find that pictures aren't really, aren't as valuable as what they used to be? You know what I mean? Like with so many pictures around and so everybody having a a phone with an amazing camera, it's just like, do you really want to put that work into the DSLRs is what I'm thinking. Yeah. And I think that's maybe where I'm at with it. I love taking photos. I still take, I think just as many, if not more as what I used to. And I'm now expanding more so into video. So I've, I've carried a GoPro for a number of years and I do consciously um, record more video with that, but it, that's a space saving device. That's really small. Even the, you know, SD cards for it or the micros, everything is just really tiny. So that I, I make room for, but the DSLR hasn't made a trip for a few years. So once you've laid everything out, you look at everything, you make sure that you're trying to get things that have two uses. You probably throw away one of your brake pads, just take one rather than the two of them. <laughs> right. Save the space. Right. Trim but, down my toothbrush, all of that. And I do everything I there. can. No, I know. I'm teasing. So, so um, when you've done all that, do, do you then pack it up and load it on the bike to make sure that it fits? Or is it just I, experience? No, it's kind of experience. So I have a system of, you know, what goes in my left pannier, what goes in my right pannier and what goes in my gear bag. That's a waterproof bag on top on the rack. And for a number of reasons, I've got kind of a home for everything. And mainly it has to do with weight balance. So I know, you know, my computer, I carry a laptop with me and my laptop stays in a certain place. And then it's balanced with tools or a tool roll and oil on the other pannier. And, you know, 
sort of some balance there. But I've really whittled down clothes and learned to wash as I go. I'm just every part of my my camping setup, I've whittled down and tried to keep it as lean as possible. And as Shirley said, leave some room in your luggage for buying some of those things that you need along the way because they make great souvenirs like the sweater she mentioned. Mm, that seems like the next step to me. First is getting your, your stuff down so that you're not yeah. taking too much. <laughs> and then is actually making so making so you have room in there to get something else in. That's like a whole other Well, maybe step that's for, my v- motivation for keeping it lean so I know I can shop down the road. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so Sam... Let's let's get yours now. Now, how do you do it? I'm sitting here fascinated by what Michelle's just saying because I pretty much follow the same sort of routine. Um, I think my attitude is whatever you take needs to give you opportunities, not be a hindrance. And that helps narrow things down quite quickly. And I think if you base um, your luggage on eating well and sleeping well because it's those things that allow you to travel with a smile... Um, then that helps you to hone things down as well. And But your best friend when you're traveling um, is your bike. So if you treat it with respect and TLC, then it'll be a friend that you want to share life on the road with. So there's got to be stuff in there that keeps your bike um, really happy. But one of the things that I see people carry is too many luxuries, and that sounds awfully arrogant. And I want to pop in the thought that well, because we're all different, what's a luxury to me may be a necessity to another. And that is one of the joys of overlanding, isn't it? That we can be ourselves. We don't have to pay attention to what other people do. But um, in the end, it's just got to be light. It's got to be compact. It's got to be efficient. Um, and you've got to know you're going to need it. Um, the, the two uses rule, that really helps to narrow things down. And yes, I do brush my teeth and clean my spokes with my toothbrush. Which only has so, half a handle. <laughs> ab- absolutely. No, too right. Although, Shirley, um, I could take the other half of the handle with me because I'm sure I'd find a second use for it. Right. Mm, only if you were sure. <laughs> I wouldn't overpack it. So, so Sam, after you laid it all out like that, you're, you're doing the same thing? You're, you're, or as far as you, you count in your experience, you know you'll, it'll all fit on your bike? Um, yeah, I do. Um, and that is just because I've made so many mistakes over the years and got so many things wrong. And so now I have narrowed it down to the things that I, I really need. Um, and how I pack my panniers to a certain extent is illogical um, because I quite often pack the things that I'm more likely to need at the bottom and the front of a pannier, not because I'm stupid, but because if I can keep the center of gravity down low um, and between the wheels, then I don't mind an extra few minutes to unload something to get at it when I do happen to need it. Um, and obviously the stuff that I'm definitely going to need on a day-to-day basis, that goes near the top, but the if, buts, and maybes, yeah, they'll, go, they'll get loaded according to weight, but the key is balance. Um, keep keep the weight of everything down as low as you possibly can in between the wheels. And my goodness, that makes a difference to your riding off-road and, for example, dodging traffic in a busy city. Um, but I mean, a lot of it is down to, if you don't know you're going to really need it, don't take it um, and buy something along the way. And as both Shirley and Michelle have said, some of the best souvenirs are things that you buy in those situations. And it's not the thing that you buy necessarily that makes it such a good souvenir, but it's the fun of the going out and the relationship you buy, you build with the market stall holder or the shopkeeper or whatever else it is. 
um, getting those bits of equipment that you need there and then, um, that can be part of the adventure, a real part of the fun. Did you guys hear what Sam said in there? He's made so many mistakes over the years. That's what I was talking uh, about. I that's what, it. Yep, and that's what we're talking about today. Yep. So, Shirley, how about you? How, how do you pack I'm for your half a pan? I'm actually wearing... Oh, Jim, seriously? <laughs> but I'd like to say that I am wearing, as we speak, a windsheeter from Nordcap. Nice. Oh, there you go. Ooh, souvenir nice and souvenir. Yeah. 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 And Practical it's after red. the fact. It's really nice. Makes Correct. sense. Um, look, I always say... I'm going to lay out all my stuff and then take out the stuff I don't need and, um, yeah, whatever. But um, the biggest mistake we ever made was on our first trip, we sent the bike ahead because it had to go by sea to England and we packed – oh, that's Brian's story. Sorry. <laughs> Brian, you finish it Wait a now. second. Wait a second. I thought this was unscripted. What, what, what are you doing? You're reading Brian's part? <laughs> no, I know. Is, isn't yours green? Didn't I make yours green? All you, everything you have to say? <laughs> well, we can tell this story. Yeah, go on. You go. You well, hang on a second. You're, you're going into a big mistake, though. Does it have to do with overpacking? It does. Yes. It does. Okay. Trying yes. to pack from memory. So. When you think, yeah, the pannier will fit that much in. And it clearly won't. Oh, the the pannier, despite how hard you try, the pannier is not the TARDIS. The size outside and inside, it's what you see. So, yeah, we always, uh, look, I always overpack. It's just life. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait. Shirley, this was, this was tips for not overpacking. You're not supposed to say that you always <laughs> overpack. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't mean I'm right, Jim. I mean, occasionally I make errors and packing could be one of them. That could well, be one of the mistakes I make. Stop it, Brian. Please don't cut that out, Jim. <laughs> bring that back and record it <laughs> somewhere so I can repeat it. Sometimes I am not right. <laughs> I just love the way that Shirley said that was such a dry tone in her voice. <laughs> <laughs> Being on one bike, it, it's um, it's a lot different. Packing is a lot different, and it's a lot easier to make mistakes. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, look, I, I, when uh, Michelle was talking about no, no, not packing too many clothes, I just had to smile. We were at a Horizon Sun Limited meeting, and uh, a lady got up and spoke about her ride through Africa, and she only had one T-shirt going through Africa, and she was as funny as what was her name, Shirley? Uh, but she um, she wore this T-shirt uh, that much that, and the roads were that bouncy that her boobs were out the material. So she, she actually reversed the T-shirt <laughs> so she could wear it. I just had to laugh. She was as funny as. That must have been Linda. Is that Linda Beck? Yes, that's right. That was Linda. Yeah. That's her name. Yeah. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I like Linda. She, had, she yeah. had the ruby stitches. You know, you can pack light and you can pack silly. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, I think I, one, one, t- one T-shirt, probably while it does get a good laugh out of function, it probably is on the perhaps verging on the silly side. Yeah, two yeah. would have been a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah so you've got one, one dirty, one clean. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, think about it. Traveling. It's a four-way T-shirt. She can wear it front, <laughs> back to front. She can wear it inside <laughs> out, back to front, front. Here we go. Here we so, go. so what did we establish here that you you need just two T-shirts to go? That's it. <laughs> no. Right, Brian. Do you have a do you have a method to stop yourself from overpacking? 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very similar to um, what Michelle said. You know, lay it out on the ta- on the table and have a look at it. Try and get a double use, like um, um, shoes, for example. Um, I like to wear runners all the time, um, but you know, then if you're going to go rock climbing, you think about, oh, maybe I should have something with a bit more strength in the in the ankle, <laughs> and, and I don't want to wear my bike. Excuse boots. me, I just wondered when did we last go rock climbing? Oh, <laughs> 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 you know what I mean. Whatever. <laughs> but, you know, little things like that. Um, and again, you're right, things wear out. I, I think on our first trip I wore out two lots of boots, um, maybe through scraping a little bit on the side of the road, but that's that's another story. Um, yeah, uh, laying stuff out is a big thing. I think uh, working out what your bike needs on the road, um, not not things that you can buy, but tools and stuff like that that you might need is very important. Um, Tire pliers yep, come to mind. Yeah, yeah, well. Important you, stuff. You never know. Multiple things. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And I know people that are, that are looking at motorcycles that have tubeless tyres over tube tyres and some manufacturers are still producing Great adventure bikes, but with tube tyres because they find um, uh, tube tyres uh, a lot harder to change than plugging a um, tubeless tyre. So why are so, you telling yeah. this story? Are you, you justifying your tyre pliers? Is that what you're doing right now? <laughs> I am. I am because I live in the bottom of Verpania. <laughs> but I have a question to ask. Sam says multi-purpose. What, other than killing husbands, <laughs> What else can you use tyre pliers for? That's two. Sam? <laughs> uh, well, you could use it as a lever to straighten something, to bend something, um, yeah. maybe to dig a hole. If you had to dig a hole for some reason, if you were burying some, ah, so maybe you shot too much. Husband. And, yes. you're bar- <laughs> and you're burying some of the things that you bought so you can come back and get them later. That would be uh, one uh, of those things. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for trying to help. No worries. No, I'm there for you, this argument. I'm there for you. Grant, how about you? What's your, what's your method to stop overpacking? Oh, that is, it's such a hard thing. I mean, everybody's had lots of good uh, ideas and thoughts and basically the way I do it. But recently I've, the last couple of years, I've been riding my DRZ400E out in the woods and camping out. That required a complete rethink of how I pack and a whole lot less because, of course, on a dirt bike and riding single track and nasty stuff with luggage, camping gear and everything, you really have to get serious about reducing your load. So I've cut my, my gear down even further than I normally do for a big trip. It's just to think how I think my way through the evening, I stop the bike, park it, do my gear in my mind. And I have my stuff spread out and I go, okay, I use this, I use this, I need to use this to make a meal. And anything I don't use in that mental walkthrough of the process of going from parking the bike to getting into bed, if I haven't used it, why is it here? Well, okay, I need that for breakfast. Well, maybe I don't need it for breakfast. Maybe I can use what I had last night. And the minimum amount of change of clothes, like I have a set of clothes for the evening. Otherwise, I've got my riding gear. That's it. And just Mm -hmm. keep absolute minimum. If you really think about it, you don't need a lot of spares. You've got something on your body to keep you reasonably warm and dry and comfortable. 
You don't need a spare, that, that other jacket. You don't need a warmer jacket. You don't need a sweater. You, you just don't need it. If it's cold, you put on your riding jacket. You've got an electric vest. Well, that by itself, without plugging into the bike, is, is warm. It's comfortable. It does the job. You don't need to think for every possible situation that you could possibly get into. Because again, like I said earlier, you're on a road of some kind. You're on a motorcycle. Usually, I mean, when I'm on my dirt bike, I get into places where there are no roads and I haven't seen a road for hours. So I got to be a little bit different in my thinking, but that's more spare parts and stuff. But for normal adventure touring, traveling, you're mostly on a road of some kind and the road exists because there's a town at each end of it and there's people there. And guess what? They need all the same stuff you do. So you can probably buy it or you really don't need it. If you can't buy it in a small town at the end of a road, you don't need it. It's just not that desperate. So it's a, it's a really getting your head out of this mind of, well, I need to fully stock cupboards and I need a closet full of clothing so I can be set for everything. It's not like that on the road. Absolute minimum. And keep in mind, I can always buy something if I need it. And I think that helps reduce the load a lot. Okay. Well, that's good. All right. So we, we covered overpacking. It only took us like a half an hour, I think, to cover overpacking the first, the first one. So that's, that's not too bad. Can I, can I just make one or two other comments? Just, just yeah, some sure. observations. And we all have the instincts to, to plan for the unknown and to try and plan for um, the different eventualities that we can imagine. And most of us are brought up not to be a burden on others. Um, some people are brought up in such a way that not getting it right for the first time is a failure. Um, and most of us um, struggle with asking for help. And all of those things thrown into the packing mix tend to complicate it. And it comes down to the individual. And as far as asking for help is, is concerned, the reality is that asking for help to learn and to achieve is one of the most liberating things the road has to offer an individual. And I think as people travel longer, then they start to realize that asking for help doesn't make somebody a taker. Um, it makes somebody an, an appreciate, appreciative of other people's knowledge. Um, I think the point there is that there is a balance between being a taker and somebody who has been responsible yet still needs help. Just, I mean, just loading too much on board is a negative in so many ways. It slows you down, it eats extra gas money, and it's always a chore to deal with. So why do it? Yeah. I think I think the thing I hate worst about too much stuff is unpacking it every night and repacking it in the morning. Oh, it yeah, drives yeah, me yeah. crazy. You just spend so yeah. much time. I remember on one of our first trips is I've got this thing in my hand and I'm looking at the saddlebag. And I say, if I shove that over there and adjust that there, twist that there and squish this really hard, it'll probably fit and hmm. pushing it into place. Well, yeah, it fit, but what a bunch of aggravation. It's just not worth it. Have yeah. spare room at the top of your panniers. So good points there, you know, laying everything out and, and checking um, what you've got. I, I grant your method I tend to lean towards as well of, of thinking through mentally what you do. I think that kind of comes, you need some experience with that though, to yes. know what it is. And it's, and it's sort of a reminder. And that's what I do for me is I just go through what, what will I be doing and what will I need for that? I also tend to work in um, sort of more compartmentalized. Like I, I'll, I have my toolkit set up and, you know, that's one thing. I don't lay everything out like everyone else is doing, which I, I think is a, is a great idea though to lay everything out. So laying everything out, Sam mentioned 
eating well, sleeping well on the bike. And I think that's, that's really key. Eating well, sleeping mm-hmm. well, they're, they're important things, right? When you're, when you're out doing anything. So all good information on, on overpacking. Okay. So let's move on to the next top motorcycle traveler mistake. Michelle, what, what, what's next? <laughs> well, I, um, I had a few that were kind of towards the top for me. Um, but one would be uh, knowing foreign currency, knowing your finances, exchange rates, um, and what costs of things are so that you can appropriately plan. So that the costs of travel affect everything from where you're choosing to stay. If you're wild camping because you're adhering to a tight budget and really trying to make the most out of um, every dollar that you have um, it, and really just getting into the the very specifics of calculating how far you can travel, how long you can be on the road because you've got a certain amount of money set aside for a trip. So um, for me, for example, and, and this is really kind of embarrassing, but it's, it's a good example of it. And I have an accounting degree, mind you, which I shouldn't be prefacing this story with this, but um, <laughs> I, I really do pride myself on knowing exchange rates and that I can calculate numbers in my head and I'm pretty quick with it. And so as I'm standing in a night market somewhere in Thailand, I know how much a certain thing that I want to buy is going to cost, etc. But this one time I was standing in a little shop somewhere in Iceland and saw a refrigerator magnet, which is not normally something I go for. Um, but... I found this adorable handmade, hand crocheted reindeer and he had antlers made of twigs from local shrubs and things from the tundra in Iceland. And I thought he was a bargain at $3.50 until I did the math later and realized he was $35, but he was already mine. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a really, really brutal lesson in watching that decimal place, making sure I know the exchange rate, knowing that I'm, you know, really not getting taken for something. So it's not just the dollar value and and the, the, you know, published going exchange rate, but also knowing the value of it. There's a lot of intricacies to it as far as like dollar blue in Argentina and some black market opportunities for money in different countries. So just make sure that you, you know, know the math and you double check your numbers and, um, that way you're able to extend your dollars and get the most out of your trip and extend your budget as far as you can. How does that um, fridge magnet look on your fridge now? (laughs) It's beautiful. May I just say. (laughs) (laughs) It ought to be. (laughs) For the longest time, I will say it drove me nuts. It really just absolutely drove me bonkers. I was so upset about it. But now, you know, 10 years on, well, it's probably been six years I can laugh about it and it has a story. And so there it is. Wow. That's, it takes six years for an accountant to let go of an overpriced <laughs> trinket. Yeah. <laughs> something. Very overpriced. It was more about the error that I made probably. <laughs> you just listening to that, Shirley, about mm. your little, um, your witch. Oh, no. Yes, I think you should tell that story. Go on, Joe. Uh, this, this, this is where um, souvenirs become expensive. Uh, I, when you were telling that story, Michelle, I thought I couldn't have bought that um, because the twigs would have caused issues trying to get into Australia. Mm. But when we were in Germany um, and we were on a, a loan bike, I bought a witch and she's very cool. Uh, and I packed her up in a box of other stuff to come home. 
And then about a month later, I got a letter from quarantine saying that the witch contained things which could bring in some kind of nasty to Australia. Would I like to get the witch fumigated or they will destroy it? And I thought, oh, what Brian doesn't know won't hurt him. I'll get it fumigated. It became an incredibly expensive souvenir. Oh, no. From Germany after the fumigation. Still I still told, will not declare how much. It cost. <laughs> <laughs> but it, co- it cost a lot. Oh, I'm sorry. Which is very happy and she sits in my office and I look at her every day. <laughs> I would I, think there'd be something fundamentally wrong with destroying a witch. Like, yes. That's just something yeah. that wouldn't do that. Yeah. It could have brought all sorts of bad luck on the man at quarantine yeah. and possibly me. Yeah. So right. it wasn't worth risking. <laughs> Sam, what's next? Um, I think one of the things is um, not listening to your body when you're starting to feel unwell. I mean, for example, your motorcycle is going to talk to you when it's unhappy, isn't it? A strange sound or a vibration. And as overlanders, we're listening out for those things and we pay full attention to them. And when something starts to, to feel or sound wrong, then we're on the case, aren't we? Because we know that preventive medicine um, is such an important thing on a big journey but I come across so many people that don't pay attention to what their bodies are saying to them. And I have to say, um, I've been the same, but I know people who've been close to death because they didn't listen to the warning signs that their bodies um, were giving them. I mean, from my point of view, I'm quite happy to, to own up to not realising that I'd got malaria and deciding to, to bash on through and thinking that I'd got a stomach upset. And, and I caused myself some real grief with that. I started having some dizzy spells in Kenya and I thought, ah, it's just the heat, just get out of the sunshine. And I didn't realise that I had a raging stomach upset just about to hit me. And yeah, well, it wasn't particularly convenient. Um, and in Namibia, I had a, um, a, a couple of days of pounding head and I thought that I just hadn't drunk enough. Um, well, no, it was more than that. Um, and I got myself into the stage where, because I'd never had such a, a migraine type of effect before, I'm riding and all of a sudden one washed over me and I couldn't see anything. Mm. And I'm, I'm doing probably... 45 miles an hour on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere on my own. And yeah, well, that wasn't clever, was it? So I really learned from those three episodes to pay attention. What was that? Um, I never did find out. Um, All I know was that this was the first time that I'd had it. And actually what I should have done was to stop, um, to take it easy for a couple of days and just see whether anything developed and then carry on if it didn't instead of, ah, it'll be fine. I can, uh, it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't. And I should have paid attention. Boy, to lose your sight. That's scary. Wow. Yeah. No, absolutely. Suddenly I, I could not see a thing, just this real blinding, dizzy. Um, and my vision went and it only went for a few seconds, but my goodness, um, scared the limit day and nights out of me. I was so lucky. Yeah, easy to do what you're saying, isn't it? You know, for all of us uh, to just think, oh, I'll, I'll be fine, move on. But it's a tough thing. To, it's a it's it's a tough line to walk. You know, when do you, you know, you wake up, you got a bit of a headache and okay, no big deal, I'll, I'll survive, as opposed to this is something maybe serious. Mm-hmm. Tough one. Better to err on the side of caution than to push it too far. Because as Sam discovered, 
if you err the wrong way, it's bad. Yep. So what's the, it's the risk reward ratio. Yeah, you can tough it out for a lot of things, but for a lot of things, it can be fatal. Yeah. Be careful. No, well said for sure. I've had the situation, okay. the same thing where I was feeling not bad, but then I feel, well, I'm not feeling great. You know, and I've always been lucky. I've had Susan with me who says, you're not feeling well. We're not riding. Oh, okay. All right. If you say so. Mm. And uh, that's been a very good thing because the next day I'm in bed and I'm done and I'm toasted. And a couple of days later, go to the doctor and I get a shot and I get better. But I was really sick a couple or three times. And I just felt yeah, kind of a little bit off. And I think we'll ride today. But no, no, I'm not going to ride today. Well, she's smart. She's, she doesn't she's want you controlling the motorcycle <laughs> exactly. while she's sitting on the back. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she's thinking, if you can't recognize it, I'll have to recognize it for you. Exactly. You know, that's, a, that's a key point. And one of the advantages of traveling with somebody else is that they're seeing you from the outside, if you're with me. And mm -hmm. there have been times when Birgit said to me, God, you really don't look well. And in my head, because I'm focusing on trying to make things happen, yeah, I'm a bit off color. But I hadn't, actually, I hadn't taken the time to stand back and think, actually, you aren't well. Sort yeah. that out. Yep. Um, so, mm. yeah. Yep. yeah. Every morning you got to think about that. Before you leave the nice, comfortable hotel where you're all set up and you're organized, are you really ready for a long day? Hmm. Be sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I had a similar incident in Nepal. Uh, we were staying in Kathmandu and I had a salad and the, the – um, you know, they, they wash things in water and they say it's all um, uh, free of bugs and all that sort of stuff. Well, it wasn't. And I ended up with um, really bad stomach and a blinding headache and we were in Kathmandu and going to the Annapurna Ranges and they um, called a strike in uh, Kathmandu, which means they closed the roads. You can't get out. And we had the only day to get out of town and I felt, terrible but we we uh, ended up uh, puttering out of town and I got past the uh, roadblock to area out of uh, Kathmandu and I just couldn't go any further I had to stop the bike and lay down on the road and sleep for about an hour didn't I sure mm. yeah and then when we got to Porkera he went to, went to bed and got up about three days later yeah, I don't know that it was to, a salad. I think it might have just been a decent. I had flu. to get it out you of the system. Mm. Yeah, but you know, the people are so nice. A, a local um, shopkeeper that Shirley had bumped into, he'd seen us around. He was actually a t-shirt printer, and oh, I had been shopping <laughs> just. To, oh, really? Just to be so totally different. honest about it. While Brian was in bed, <laughs> I went shopping, and um, he said to me, "You know, where's your husband?" And I said he was sick, and he said, "Oh." I'll borrow my cousin's car and come and get him and take him to the hospital. I said, oh, I'm sure he'll be fine tomorrow, which he was, but um, it was just such a sweet thing to offer to do. Very cool. People he never met mm -hmm. before. Yeah. yeah, but you're right about that, Sam. You've really got to listen to your body and uh, avoid uh, riding if you can when you have to. I think, I think you have to, as Grant said, if you're really that crook, you've got to stay in bed. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to. Mm, Otherwise, you're going to cause yourself more issues. Mm. And, you'll, you know, you might not always find a doctor, but in some countries I had a, a cold in um, India and a tuk-tuk driver said he would oh, take us yeah. to a chemist 
And I thought I'd get like a little cough medicine or something like that. I don't know what it was <laughs> that I got over the counter in this chemist, but I slept for a day and a was, half and woke up and I hadn't been as well in about 15 years. It was a white powder. You just missed the elixir of life there, Shirley. I that, know. That's what it was. You should have went back and got more. Mm. And look, it could have been heroin. <laughs> God knows what it was, but it was. Um, it certainly did the tr- did the trick. Yeah. But I'm guessing it probably wasn't something I could have got over the counter, or possibly even with a prescription in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Just guessing. Yeah. Brian, what what do you have next on your list? Um, I have some. Uh, I talk about analysis paralysis, <laughs> and this is this. You know, I, I've sat there and watched people take notes and notes and notes and they, they, they say they're going to go on their journey and they're going to do this and they, they want to take everything in and I've watched them sit there and note down everything or record everything and a year later, here they are again still recording everything and not really going out and doing it. You've got to make mistakes. It's your journey. Take advice from people but don't, for goodness sake, don't let um, the over-analysis of what you're doing cause you to delay and delay and delay and delay your 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 own journey. So I know it's a, a bit broad, but seriously, um, I've seen it so many times. Yeah, no, I think that is good for sure. Um, Chinese whispers are always dangerous too, aren't they, when you're in that sort of um, oh, environment? Yeah. Is it a Chinese whisper or is it an experience and advice and an overland that needs to try and work out what it is, don't they? Um, we all need to learn and other people who've been there before can often share really good information. But the risk factor, I think, is what's seen through their eyes and with their life experiences is not necessarily our own. Um, and that's, yeah, uh, that can be dangerous, can not it? Yeah. And it's human nature, Sam, that sometimes people, and I'm sure you've come across this and possibly we've even done it ourselves, is exaggerate a story just marginally <laughs> to make it seem a little bit more interesting, a little bit more exciting maybe make us a little bit braver. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I don't even I think, understand what you're referring to. <laughs> yeah, it never happens unless alcohol is involved. No. <laughs> Sam, just define that Chinese whisper. A Chinese whisper is something that gets um, passed. The, there's a grain of truth to the situation, but as the story gets passed from one person to the next, um, it gets adapted so that actually that grain of truth either gets blown out of all proportion or it just becomes no longer relevant. Mm-hmm. Jim, and didn't you ever play that game as a kid? Me? Where you, you know, start with a big group. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it wasn't called a Chinese yeah, whisper, though. Yeah, well, you know, it's what it starts out with as it goes through 15 different people with what they think they heard. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what we called it now. I, I can't even think of it right yeah. now, but I was, was, I was like curious of where the Chinese game or something. Yeah, maybe something, something like that. Yeah. yeah, that sounds that sounds somewhat familiar. But um, yep. yeah, I was just curious about the, the Chinese aspect of it. But okay, um, who's next, Shirley? What's next on your list? Now, this will come as a big surprise to you, but one of the greatest mistakes of travel for me is navigation. <laughs> navigation. Hmm. I know. <laughs> So, so what are you saying with navigation? Stuffing it up, basically, Jim. <laughs> I've been known to stuff up navigation in all every continent uh, of this beautiful world other than Antarctica because we had other people showing us where to go. 
Um, but what my a great no! Best, what a great thing! Sorry to interrupt you again. What a great thing to be proud of, though. Every con, that's fantastic, Shirley. It, well done. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Look, some people just don't understand what an art it is to get things wrong. Oh yeah, my best ever. And actually, Brian was feeling unwell this day too, and we were in Mexico, and he left a, before he lay down. He said to me, "Look, we're going to have to go." head straight to Texas. We need to be there in three days or four days. So we're going to have to head in this direction. Don't ask me which direction, Jim. I don't know. Left, right, up, down, whatever. Um, so, and then he sort of had a little, um, not whinge, maybe a minor whinge that it would mean he wouldn't be able to swim in the Caribbean. So I looked at the map and saw a town Suid del Carmen. And I thought, yep, that's where we have to hint. I will find some accommodation there which will make him feel better. And when I looked it up on um, a booking app, it was on the Caribbean. And I thought, Brian, you're an idiot. And I am so clever. I booked three days at Playa del Carmen. Can I tell you? that the distance between those two Del Carmens is 677 kilometres. And can I say, um, Playa Del Carmen, while being on the Caribbean, was also the complete opposite direction (laughs) to where we should have been going. So my husband, who at times can get a little short-tempered with me, I must say, and finds that some of my idiosyncrasies in life can be a little bit tiresome. Can't believe that, He took surely. it well. Oh, yeah, well, Sam, let <laughs> Anyway, he did take it very well and we did chuff off the next morning and spent three glorious days at Playa del Carmen, um, lazing under the palm trees, swimming in the warm Caribbean and uh, eating and drinking fine food and uh, beverages and then rode like cut cats to get to Texas on time. So (laughs) it's an easy mistake to make the town of Del Carmen or the beach. I don't know. I I thought it was an easy mistake to make and um, Brian took it reasonably well. You know, I did pick something up there and what you were saying, Shirley, as as far as direction goes. When you said left, right, up, down, I don't know. That might be the the, the start of the problems (laughs) right there. (laughs) That could be an indicator. (laughs) Not two days ago, we had my family staying with us and we were driving along. My sister-in-law was driving and I said, turn right here. And she said, you sure we shouldn't turn left? I went, oh, yeah, yeah, left. (laughs) Left, Honestly, it's It's a moot point. That was in our town. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you'll get there no matter what. I mean, in the long run. Right. Right. No, I'm sure I'm not the only person who's made that sort of mistake, but I tend to make navigational mistakes fairly regularly. Yep. Adventures by GPS. That's always a good fun one. (laughs) I didn't hear anybody chime in there either when Shirley said, I'm sure I'm not the only one to make that mistake. No one came in and said, no, no, I do that too. No one said it. No, I live with the philosophy that three lefts equals a right. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) You're going to use that, aren't you, Oh, yeah. That has become my motto. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome. 
I mean, I don't have a problem with that sort of thing because I've I've very cunningly bought a, a motorcycle which has the left cylinder marked with an L and the right cylinder marked with an R. So you very know, handy. Just, yeah. <laughs> very handy. Very helpful. Well, let's take a minute and thank our sponsor, Fresh Tracks. Freshtracks.co.uk. Now, Fresh Tracks has been around since the 90s, and what they do is they work with companies or groups to inspire, motivate, challenge, and build communication skills through team-building exercises. They work with companies like Comic Relief, Yahoo, Mars, Pfizer. Have a look at freshtracks.co.uk, and thank you, Fresh Tracks. Um, Grant, what do you have next on your list? A uh, couple of things. I could talk about suspension, but maybe we'll leave that separately. But more, it's unclear for, this is for couples or two people, whatever. It doesn't, they don't have to be a couple. Unclear what the trip looks like. Um, I call this the he versus she idea of what a trip is. Uh, generally, the guys want to put in the miles and the distance and basically bag trophies of distance and towns. And she wants to see things and visit and talk to people and see the sites and visit the markets and go to the museums and all that kind of thing. So you have a basic different idea of what a trip is. And yet, oh, we're both, we're going to go around the world. Yep. But their vision of what that looks like is completely different. Different Mm -hmm. travel styles, different ideas of what they're doing. Uh, You can even have two guys on a trip. And I rode um, with, Max in South America for a bit and our idea of getting from uh, Lima yeah it was Lima to Bogota we have very different ideas of what the pace should be and how often we should stop and what we should see and all the rest of it it was very difficult and yet we both had the same goal of getting to Bogota relatively quickly to avoid the, the El Nino issue that we were involved in and trying to avoid but our ideas of what was suitable accommodation, how often we should stop. He wanted to stop every half an hour for a cigarette. I wanted to stop every 45 minutes for a photograph. Yeah, it, it's just different. And yeah. you really have to talk through what does this look like? How often should we stop? How far should we go? Uh, what do you think is a long day? What's a nice short day? How many days a week should we travel? Um, that's that's a really good one, and and that goes for anybody, of course. Obviously, traveling together, and it can be something that's overlooked. That like you mentioned in there, the travel style, the stopping. I mean, you can imagine riding with somebody who wants to stop with a, for a photograph every forty five minutes. That would drive you nuts. And all you want to do is have a smoke every half hour. Surely, have you ever heard of this sort of thing? People not having the same vision of a trip. Oh well, yes, I guess so. I, I guess it comes to the: do you go to a motorcycle museum or an art gallery at the end of the day? <laughs> I just wanted wanted to chime in there on that. That's all I was after. Okay, great. But the the other thing that can be tricky when you're traveling with um, other people is um, your accommodation. When you're traveling with um, a third person, like someone you're not in a relationship with, I mean, we've traveled with people and sometimes we've gone to one hotel and they've gone to another because they don't want to – spend the money that we're spending and I don't want to stay in a hotel. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, it's, you, don't want to stay you, you need to be flexible, uh, a poor accommodation. Slightly less than salubrious. <laughs> my filter was off then, sorry. Filter? <laughs> filter? Yeah, I don't have much of a filter these yep. days, but there you go. I know. Um, and that, that, you need to have that 
parameter set as well as do we stop every 45 minutes or do we stop every 10 minutes? And, mm-hmm. yeah. I know a couple who almost trash their relationship by getting so much um, wrong. And it's really easy to analyse what went on wrong after the fact. And I have asked their permission to tell um, part of their story. And they said yes, because they hope it'll never happen to anybody else. So this is Steve and Karen, and they've told me that I can use their names. So starting point... They'd been married for 10 years. She worked in a, um, a really high-pressure job, and in the run-up to their trip, she worked until the last minute because that was what was required of her. Um, so he ended up doing 95% of the planning because of her job, not giving her the time to get involved. But he didn't share the conclusions that he was coming to because he knew how pressurized she was, nor did he share the decisions that he was making. Um, and the key issue was that he had an image of overlanding in his mind that was hugely different to the image that she had in her mind. And at the start of the trip, by the time they'd made it out of Alaska and into Canada, they'd almost, they were just about split up. She was furious, and I quote, at being forced into doing things that she didn't want to and then being made to feel guilty because she kept saying no. And she ended up shutting up um, and just refusing to speak to him. And he was totally frustrated at what he perceived was her ingratitude for all of his hours of preparation, much of which he thought he'd designed to do the things that she would want to do along the way. And he became increasingly frustrated at her unwillingness to try new things, and even more so at her determination to say nothing that would actually end up starting to resolve the problem. And I can just imagine this, the hair on my arms and my fingernails are just crawling, just at the thought of being involved in a journey like that. What a waste, just because they didn't communicate properly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. We well, see it too often. a good example. Good example for sure. Uh, but let's go back to Michelle. What do you have on your oh, list? Oh, gosh, let's see. I've got a couple of things here. Um one of the things was riding after dark um, and misjudging how long a road would take in general. When we're used to our own, you know, ability to cover a certain number of miles in our own countries with our own infrastructures, traveling in a different country definitely comes at a different pace. And so just being prepared to adjust to that and make your plans accordingly and make sure that you allow enough time to get places I remember crossing into Mexico after, mainland Mexico after being on Baja. Oh, excuse me. For, oh, do they bring no, you a drink? No, there's traffic. It sounds like a motorcycle a race. Drink. <laughs> going on at the beach. I thought you were just pausing because they bring you a drink. I no. thought you were just no, handling no, no. that. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember crossing into mainland Mexico after being in Baja and kind of guesstimating that I could cover a 150 mile section of road in a day and being caught out and driving like three to four hours in pitch black, crossing a couple of police checkpoints after dark, um, just really feeling unsafe and really regretting um, having bitten off a little more than I could chew as far as road during the day. So needing to reevaluate, be flexible. Mm-hmm. Riding at nighttime when you're in places, you know, that you don't know and so on. I mean, I know we had this conversation on a previous show, but as an overlander, it's really, really dangerous, isn't it? It's And what a waste of opportunity because, well, you're just riding with one of your senses not firing on all cylinders and that's when you end up dropping yourself in it, isn't it? 
for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That was a funny um, conversation we had about that because we t- first started out as, as I assumed, I guess it was my assumption that, hey, this kind of goes into what Grant was saying about you know, having the same assumptions, but I assumed that everyone was going to be adamantly say no riding at night. But of course, as you all know, we found out everybody rides at night, but they know they shouldn't. Anyway, that's enough for another conversation. <laughs> actually, we'll, we'll put a link into that episode in yeah. the show notes for this one. If you're interested in hearing that, that's that was pretty funny, actually. Uh, I'll put a link in there to that episode so you can find that. Okay, that, that's that's a good one. Anyone have anything to add to that? Okay, so uh, Sam, what do you have next on yours? Um, not focusing on the basics enough because of the distractions of a multitude of what ifs. Whoa, hang on, that's a long title. What is that? Not focusing on the basics enough because of the distractions of a multitude of what ifs. In other words, what if this went wrong? What if that happened? Oh gosh, what if, there, if, what if there, there's a war in the front or what if COVID pops up or whatever else it is? Um, instead of appreciating that actually um, many of the things, many of the what ifs are highly unlikely to happen at all. So they're worth some thought for a few moments, but then they shouldn't be allowed to take over from the day because they're just a total distraction from the little things that make each day into a series of really valuable um, adventures and experiences. Um, And I think the other thing is something going wrong is not necessarily to be feared and too many of us worry about something going wrong as if it is something that should be feared. Um, And I kind of think, I mean, some of the, the, the most chilled overlanders that I've met have been people who have been traveling um, and they've learned how to treat the whole thing as an exercise in philosophy. Um, and I just love talking to these people. And for starters, we all know that helmet time is great thinking time, but they've sort of taken a, um, a step further. And I couldn't remember what one of the guys said, but he did say, look it up on Wikipedia. You'll find a, a good quote for what I mean by philosophy. And um, I'm just going to read that out to you because I went and hunted for it. Philosophy is a systematic study of general and fundamental questions concerning topics like existence, reason, knowledge, value, mind, and language. Um, And I just thought, yes, that ticks so many boxes of why we're out there. Why are we out there? Um, What's giving us the opportunity to be there? What knowledge are we gathering? Um, What values are we putting on the journey? Um, And because we're thinking about it, then they are actually gaining the values that actually we might have just um, flitted on by. And how are our minds developing and what are the languages? And just the people who grasp that actually overlanding is a mix of all of these wonder things and take the time to think about those and not the what-ifs that can go wrong end up finding positives just about everywhere they go. And you can always see the sunshine out of these people. They're just brilliant fun to be around. Does anybody else know the sort of person that I'm talking about? Yep. Yes. Yep. Sure. No, exactly what you're saying. You know, Sam, at the start of what you said there, near, near the beginning, you said um, uh, adventures and experiences. And I was thinking, you were saying there were adventures and, and experiences. And I was thinking mistakes probably comes after that, <laughs> you know, because you're saying you worry too much <laughs> because there'll be adventures and experiences, but then they might also be a mistake if you don't think enough. And, and, I, and I'm sort of poking fun at what you're saying in, in a way just to enlighten things. But the the thing is there it's a fine it's another fine line which i'm going to say again here it's it's a you're walking this fine line of 
worry, which I hate, I think is a wasted emotion and trying to plan for, for the possibilities. Right. So I think you got to do that. You got to do your due diligence. And I think that's all up to each one of us as an individual of how much planning you do for the what ifs and how much you're willing to just deal with whatever comes along. But I agree with you, Sam. And we we had someone on the episode on the on Adventure Rider Radio there a few weeks back who said something about he he was saying about his travel partner, and he said that he hates to admit it, but he worries she doesn't, and almost always she is right, and his worrying is a waste of time. Correct. I, Interesting. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's just really... that she's always right. Is that? <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. Well, I, w- I wasn't getting that. I was getting the other thing there. Just the thought process that we worry so much about things, and it's so easy to do. Worry is so easy to do, but I really think it's such a waste of time. It's not constructive in any way at all. Planning for some possibilities, I think, is, but knowing where to draw that line can be really difficult to do. And and I'm bad for that. I'll tend to run through a lot more scenarios of the what ifs than I need to do because almost always they just don't happen. You know, things turn out one way or another. I think awareness equals intelligence, doesn't it? I mean, if you're not bothering to be aware of something, then you're going to drop yourself in sooner or later. Um, But equally, you're just going to miss opportunities because you didn't know those things were there. So being um, unaware, um, that's what is just plain daft. Um, But letting worries take over. I mean, travel is work, isn't it? And, and most things don't just happen simply because we're out there. They happen because we're out there having been aware um, and with patience and curiosity and open-heartedness, but without that fear, but with oodles of respect. And there's a big difference, isn't there, between fear and, and respect. Um, I mean, things are going to happen out there that we've got absolutely no control over. And sometimes those things are bad, but I think if we focus too much on the things that are going to go wrong, then we don't have the chance to focus on the things that have the potential to go right. Um, I think it, it's a balance, isn't it? They talk about emotional intelligence, and I, I think that's a big thing with this. Um, be aware of your surroundings. You know, do, you know, it, a little bit of research is okay, but you just um, you know know your surroundings. Uh, be aware of the local communities and customs and things like that really goes a long way to mitigating problems in the first place. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. awareness, emotional intelligence. And having yeah, a backup no, absolutely. Plan, I think yeah. you, know, you can look at it from the point of view, like when we were in Africa in 97, our basic backup plan was we had $1,000 cash on us and we had our passports with us at all times. So I don't care what happened. Somehow or other, we can get to an airport and get on a plane out. So yeah. that's kind of a an emotional backup. That's a eliminates the fear. I don't care if this country goes to war, if there's there's suddenly mass killings, there's a disease, whatever, we can get out. And then we stopped worrying about it. We didn't even think about it. We just went and we had a good time and did our thing. But we always had this backup plan. There is a way out. But that's awareness, isn't it? That's 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 awareness. awareness. Yeah. That's Um, being being aware of if it all goes to hell in a handbasket, I got a way out. And and that's kind of a basic... um, Things like uh, carnets. They try and save money on a carnet, for instance, by only picking the countries that are on their exact route. Well, I say pick countries that are all around your route and any country mm-hmm. that's cheap that's, that you might possibly go through for whatever reason. Things go wrong. 
have a backup plan, have a way around it, have a solution for going around, over, under, whatever, but have a backup and then stop worrying about it because you've right. covered your basis. You've, you've done the, the basic background work to make sure that if all goes bad, you got a solution. You're already prepared. And then stop thinking about it. Because that's distracting from all of the things that you can do and that you know are going to give you a buzz. Absolutely. Awareness, not fear. Yep, absolutely. I tell you what, when things go wrong, sometimes that's when the best best stories come out, isn't it? The best experiences. Absolutely. Find out so much more about yourself and another country when something goes pear-shaped. Yeah. I've heard many times that people say, you know, when things go wrong, that's when it gets interesting because you meet people. They're always helpful. They're always willing to help a stranger in distress. You have great time. You get things solved. You make friends for life. All kinds of wonderful stories. Um, I mean, Ted Simon tells various stories about one, like when he broke his leg in Africa. I know Sam and Gandolfi broke a leg in South America. All great stories. You know, they had a wonderful time, met great people, stayed with good people. Everybody helped them out, solved their problems. It's okay. Things will go wrong. It will work out. Brian, what do you have next on your list? <laughs> um, I've got a, a little... <laughs> A little com uh, confession, I suppose, impatience on the road. Just hang on, just maybe you could start by saying, when is Shirley impatient <laughs> on the road? <laughs> uh, that wasn't what he was meaning. <laughs> um, nice try. Yeah. Yeah, I can't blame him for trying. <laughs> uh, look, I... Uh, I, sometimes I just have to pull myself up and, and think, hey, no, 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 get back into the rhythm of the road that you're riding, you know, people on the road and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's a big thing that um, some of us take um, um, uh, our riding styles to places where they shouldn't be when you're travelling um, mm -hmm. on the road and in a big um, on a big trip. So, but. It, over time, you do get to that rhythm of the road, and it's a bit like that zen-like uh, thing you were talking about, Sam, um, that uh, you, you tend to get to that point. But occasionally, you just lose your cool a little bit, and you shouldn't. You should just chill out a little. Yeah. So I think that's that's probably my next point. I might Sarah. write that on a T-shirt for Brian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just chill. After the um – what Brian was saying, the impatience on the road, it, you do yeah. need to get into the mindset of being on a trip and not not driving around your home hometown trying to get from A to B in a hurry. And um, I remember when we and, – and sometimes this can lead to interesting things. When we arrived in Russia, um, we crossed the border and the driving had gone from Finnish sensible to Russian crazy – and we pulled up oh, at a service up, station stop. to yeah. just so Brian could get his head around the traffic and how the trucks didn't obey the road rules and the holes in the road, those sort of normal things. And this guy in a very large European expensive car with blacked out windows wearing a two-piece leisure suit and far more jewellery than a man should wear uh, came up and started talking to us and when we said we, you know, we just stopped, and I said, "Oh, look, I was trying to find an ATM." Oh, do you want money? Uh, no, no, no. It's okay. We don't, we don't, we don't want money. And he did say he was a vet 
and we presumed he met veterinary scientist uh, or veterinary doctor. But then when I looked at his clothing and his jewellery, I'm thinking, and the blacked out windows in the car and the amount of cash he had, he possibly had another occupation. Mm. But he was the first Russian we met other than the border guards and he was very interesting to say the least. We had quite a lengthy conversation with him. But it Brilliant. all came about because Brian needed to stop yeah, to, I just to, to get to stop, his head get around, around the traffic. It. And, and that's, that's one of the things I do now is, yeah. um, you know, I can remember sitting um, in a little bar uh, two stories up above a huge intersection in Hanoi, just watching how the traffic worked uh, before we got on our motorcycle and um, went riding through there. So I think that's important. I do too, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we always do that when we're moving into a country which has got um, a different culture. I mean, the trip to Ireland, we well, yeah, it's a very different culture, um, but not from the driving point of view. Actually, do you know, it was different from the driving point of view. Um, I'm completely wrong. In Ireland, in comparison to the UK, people drive there as if they're enjoying the journey and not just on a chase to get from A to B. And one of the things that we loved was on the smaller roads, the way people would wave at each other, even if it was a finger wave. Um, But, you know, just strangers greeting strangers because you just happen to be on the same bit of road. And I thought, how refreshing is this? It's really nice. That's very sweet. I've got to tell you a story about uh, Irish coppers. Uh, Years ago, um, uh, we were in Ireland and um, you might know in Australia, we have uh, 0.05 laws, you know, people have to um, blow into a breathalyzer to uh, pass um, the particular 0.05 before they're allowed to drive on the road so they get, you know, pulled off the road. Um, In Ireland, they didn't have that sort of thing and uh, we were meeting a an inspector, weren't we, Shirley, in Dublin? And uh, typical um, Irish inspector, he said, oh, let's go down the, and uh, get a cup of tea. So he puts his um, cardigan over his uniform and we go down and have a cup of tea in a local cafe and we're talking about our road rules. And he said, oh, I don't know whether we could have breathalysers in Ireland. And I said, why is that, mate? And he said, well, our culture revolves around the pub. And we've got to give him a chance to get home from the pub. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, when, I, when I was riding through Ireland, I had that in the back of my head that probably all of them are drunk. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hey, Brian, put your pen down. Uh, you got sure, I think. It was oh, not sure. me. <laughs> <laughs> Did he just toss it across to you and say that was Shirley? That was very quick, Brian. <laughs> See what I have to put up with, my lordy I Lord. do. I do, definitely. Cool. Talking about um, booze tests, Brian, the last time that I was in Australia, um, they had booze buses and not party buses, but full of policemen. And they would sort of yeah. drive across a dual carriageway and just park up and test absolutely everybody and the traffic cues would just go back for miles but nobody was allowed to go through without having been breathalyzed i was just gobsmacked by this hmm. yeah. yeah it happens yeah. here all the time yeah they're it doing drug does. tests yeah oh yeah. interesting drug tests yeah. as well they do that here at christmas yeah all, the, all your all your special times surely what's next on your list oh, i don't have one i don't make mistakes jim <laughs> 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 Look, right, what do you mean? Sam has tons of them. Why don't you just roll one of his? <laughs> I, I, I've made a couple. You know, <laughs> navigation very broad, packing very broad. Oh, worry, I do worry. Well, I worry, worry way too much. But mm-hmm. um, 
yeah, we get through that. So, okay. But, um, no, I'll just ignore you. So no, this is my yeah. this is where I go wrong, Jim, and that's traveling with Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, some stuff just can't be avoided, surely. I mean, you just have to deal with it, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay, Grant, what's on yours? Uh, well, a bit of a tricky one. When you're in another country, you often, especially dealing with bureaucracy, bureaucrats of some kind, whatever, for whatever reason, or just about anything, it's their country and they don't do things the way you do. So I think the mistake is not accepting and understanding that it's their country and they do things as they want to. And you need to learn to accept that and go with the flow and keep reminding yourself it's their country. And by the way, this will be interesting. It's a different way of doing things. And they're quite happy with the way they do things. And they really don't want to hear from you about how you do things or how your country does things. In your mind, your way is better because it's what you're used to. So, mm-hmm. oh, it's just such a good bunker. It is. Oh, yeah. Country, think, yeah. state, province. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it goes wherever. Exactly. Isn't it? You know, they. Yeah. Abiding by their local customs. It's not just, you know, how they might do things politically or how you have to queue up and get petrol, you have to pay first or whatever. It's different Mm -hmm. to how you do it at home. But if you're going to a country that's a deeply religious country and um, it's not a secular country, well, you just, that's just where you are. Mm -hmm. And you do have to abide by their religious mores, whether you, whether there's something you want to do or not. It's, um, it's like parts of Bali, of all places, are now threatening to ban yeah. alcohol because they're sick of Australian tourists in particular going and getting absolutely poleaxed and causing problems. Yep. Um, they're sick of people in bikinis coming from the beach up into the township where to them that much exposure of flesh is really abhorrent. Mm. Uh, you know, it's like going to Iran when we were in Iran, I didn't want to wear a, a scarf, but, you, but yeah. I did yeah. because that's their law. And, I mean, at the moment you've got those brave people in Iran who are trying to have those laws changed, but the laws are still there. And I just think foreigners are asking for trouble when they ignore the yeah. local social and religious uh, rules and uh, ex- expectations yeah. when they're visiting. And it's countries. arrogant it disrespect. Yeah. Yes. Correct. And I think, correct. And it's not your place to, to correct them. It's their place for the people who disagree with the way their laws or, or whatever it is is set up. It's their place to rebel, protest, whatever. It's not yours. You That's keep right. out no. of it. Well, you can support them, you know, you, you can support them if you're there and, and I guess. Respectfully. But, um, yeah, you just have to think yes. about it. Yeah. Carefully yeah. and respectfully. Yeah. I agree. It's really, it comes down to respect and a situation like that is, is such a good example of how as travelers, we don't always, we're, we're a little bit tone deaf and we're not paying attention to where we're at and we're stuck with our customs from home or whatever it is. And I, I think it, it's incumbent upon us to be mindful of where we're at and abide by those customs. And, and I'm going to take it an, another spin in that really making sure that you're never putting yourself in a, any position that makes you vulnerable to local police or authority. And I'm not talking about the stamp yeah. situation that I put myself in, but, <laughs> but that's a good example too. Yeah. Just making sure that you are following the rules. You're not taking risks 
and being uninformed is no excuse. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, as travelers, we just really need to make sure it's our job to do research about legal issues, read the signs, um, you know, using chewing gum in Singapore, for example, or anything to do with drugs in Indonesia. Yes. I mean, it, it's a death sentence and there's yeah. no excuse for that. Ignorance yeah. it does not protect you. So I, I, I think it's really incumbent upon us to make sure that we never put ourselves in a bad position because of, you know, ignoring or just not bothering to research what the local customs and laws are. So it, it's something that we really need to take seriously. And if you get into a really serious trouble, there's only so much your government can do to help you. Mm. Uh, we've had instances where people have been charged with, uh, one guy charged with dead set stupidity when he was over-refreshed in an, on an Indonesian island. And, you know, the consulate went and saw him and made sure that he was, you know, getting a visitor from his lawyer and uh, getting food and water. But they can't make them let you out of jail. You're there. You broke their law. Under their rule, correct. So don't go the, oh, but I'm an Australian citizen or I'm an American citizen. You can't treat me like that. Oh, yes, they can. It's their country. Correct. I think one of the things that's, that's, an upside of this is it's actually quite interesting to, to to do some research as to why the rules have been made the way that they have. And sometimes they've been there for, you know, a thousand years. Um, and well, that's, that's to me, it's fascinating to, to learn those stories. But it's also, you know, some of the rules and regulations in some of the countries you go to where you can actually turn to your advantage. Um, we've traveled in places where um, if you're a woman, you can, there's a special queue for women. And Quite often, the men's queues are just miles long, yet there might be two people in the women's queue. So, Birgit will go and do the paperwork. She'll go up the front and get it all job done in, in 15 minutes, and we're gone. I've never had to stand Post- in that queue. <laughs> yeah, you can sometimes have that in post offices too. In mm-hmm. um, We found that in, I think it was in, in Islamabad, they had a special queue yeah. for women to go and do their postage, and you weren't allowed to go in the men queue and the men weren't allowed to go into yours so uh, look it's just the mm. way it is really isn't it first mm. time i went to india um the queues in the in the railway stations to get a, a, a train ticket there were queues for women and queues for men and yeah um if i was staying in a backpackers hostel or something like that i used to go and ask one of the girls to go and do the queuing for me clever <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Mm. And I think we have to keep in mind that the reason we're going to these countries, the reason we're going traveling is to see things and experience things and experience other cultures Mm -hmm. and learn about the world and other cultures and gain an understanding. And by observing the rules and asking about all of it and doing your own research, you do gain an understanding. And if you just ignore it all, well, why are you bothering to travel? You might as well stay home. Here, here. Yep. Yeah. We d- we made a big mistake. Um, oh, see, this is another mistake. Just chatting brings it <laughs> oh, Here we go. Uh, we were I in knew groups. You'd another and, one. <laughs> <laughs> and we wanted to go to somewhere to sit by the beach and have a restful few days doing what Grant suggests, having a holiday from our holiday. And um, we were at a service station and the guy said, oh, yeah, go to Lefkada because that's a really nice island and it's got a bridge. You don't have to get a ferry and it's only an hour from here, blah, blah. So off we chuffed and we, it was stinking hot and we found this really nice little hotel and we threw the bike gear off, threw the bathers on, raced downstairs, got in the pool. 
and we're floating around on a, they had those floating, floating lilos on the pool and I said to Brian, just listen. He said, yeah, what? They're all English accents. We had lucked into the island where we could eat English food, we could eat, we could watch English football uh, and we walked the main strip twice to find a restaurant that was actually serving Greek food. So that is a mistake. <laughs> not, yeah. You know, why did we – we did not want to go to an English beach resort in Greece. Mm-hmm. We wanted to go to a beach resort that was Greek. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, uh, Michelle, back to you again. What do you have? I think um, something that I've seen happen more than once, and, and certainly I'm probably guilty of it myself a little bit, but getting – um, when you're out traveling either ahead of yourself or overriding your skill set, um, especially if you're traveling alone or you're you're riding on difficult terrain or when you're heavily loaded down on your bike, um, just making sure that you ride within the conditions that you're riding in, so to speak, that you're aware of it and you're paying attention. Um, just an example, I met a motorcyclist on Peninsula Valdez in Argentina who um, came out, I was pulled over in front of a market and I was going in to get some food before going out to camp. And he walked over to say hello and he had his arm in a sling. And he was Australian. And he and a friend of his had planned uh, for a year or two to fly over to South America and buy motorcycles and go on this big adventure. And um, they had bought the bikes. They were all packed up, loaded, heading south and been riding a few days when they decided to go have a putter in an off-road section. And he had an off and broke his collarbone. And that was the end of it for him. So he was going to be flying home for surgery and his friend was going to be traveling on alone, which was, I'm sure, not the journey they had anticipated when they had planned this big adventure. So how quickly things can happen um, and, and really change your plans. So obviously accidents can happen. So, and, and I'm not saying that these guys were, you know, exceeding their skill set or their experience level, but just be mindful of things and, and, um, you know, take some care and, and, uh, you know, hopefully prevent as many of those things as possible so that you're able to go out and enjoy the trip to the fullest. Yeah, just considering what's at risk there. You know, you, yeah. your whole trip is at risk by by having an off. And is it really worth pushing your luck, you know, for that section? And that can happen too when you get into places and you might have to come up with some some other alternative for this, but you might come into a place, uh, you know, where the, where the riding is much more difficult than you what you anticipated, the wind or whatever the case yes. is, I think of Patagonia. And maybe you got to call it quits. Maybe you got to do something else, but it's certainly be better finding a vehicle to haul your bike or something rather than having a nasty outcome. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, Those of us who ride too up are all too aware of that. We have somebody on the back that we are responsible for. So yeah, I don't know about Brian, but I'm sure he's the same. I ride slower when Susan's on the back than I might by myself. That's a step yeah, start. And oh yeah. And I'm in the middle of Africa. I ride slower again. You know, you you do keep that in mind. And your ability to avoid issues is not nearly as high as you would if you were solo. But even at that, um, I remember these two guys riding through Brazil, through the Pampas. Dead flat, straight, straight, straight. Dirt road, straight, straight, straight. 
they're just whistling along on their 600, uh, I think they're on Honda XLs or something. Anyway, they're just whistling along, and all of a sudden, there's this 10-foot-wide cut straight across the road, and they didn't see it until they were like 20 feet away. Flew mm. over the cut, front wheels hit the other side, both of them did giant endos, major crash, not pretty. You just can't assume that everything's going to be the same, same uh, forever. And you just have to keep your speed down to something sensible. If you can't mm. see, then you, uh, uh, at whatever speed you're traveling at, if you can't see it in short enough distance to stop, you're going too fast. Just have to back off. I think that that's what happens a lot with um, when people are first setting out on trips because it takes yep. the, the time for the mindset to change into the difference between... Um, riding your bike hard and stretching it and stretching yourself to um, see the world. And to do that, you've got to protect you and your bike. Yeah. Yeah, there's a very different pace from going for a Sunday ride with the boys to riding around the world. Hugely different pace. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've got a mate who does um, uh, tours and he talks about um, – the boys come on the tour and they're full of adrenaline and bravado and they go too hard and they break break things, break bikes, break themselves. Whereas the girls seem to be far more circumspect and take it in a lot quicker than the boys uh, on those tours. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he talks about one, one guy that was just going hell for leather um, in Russia and uh, hit a pothole and came off. And over the next two days, I watched him as he was riding and he was just crouching down or getting um, lower and lower and lower on the bike. And he had horrific um, internal bleeding. He ruptured his spleen, I think. He had ruptured his spleen mm. and ended wow. up in a Russian hospital, which you don't want to mm. be. Mm. But, you know, if, if they hadn't got him to hospital, he'd be dead. So then uh, he tells a horrific story about what you actually eat in a Russian hospital. But, yeah. <laughs> another story. For those of you who are having breakfast now, we won't tell that yeah, story. No, won't do that. <laughs> Thank you, Shirley. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes you have to know when to admit defeat. And, um, you know, it was Grant was saying about people riding too fast and hitting, right. that, hitting that hole. When we were in Tajikistan, the road just got too hard and it hasn't happened very often, but we did just have to say, no, we can't do it. We've got to turn around because it was getting um, too uncomfortable. It, you know, the joy had gone out of the ride. Mm -hmm. Is that the one where the and Italians told you to turn around and go back? Correct. Yeah, 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 correct. Right. So, but that, then it comes down to you know you're riding for two people, not yourself, and yeah. uh, you know you, you've got to take that into account. And one of my other uh, topics was um, uh, companions riding with companions. Set the ground rules. Um, I went around Australia with a couple of mates and uh, we all started out all, all lovey-dovey and happy and all that sort of stuff and two guys sharing. Towards the end of it, they they were almost coming to fisticuffs, you know, and one of them took off and, and camped um, um, 20 k's down the road because he just wanted to get away. Um, and that can happen if you go uh, riding with someone, set the ground rules. You know, look, if, if we want to go our own way, we're just going to go our own way. I've got another mate that we used to share with all the time and we worked out that 
we both snored that loudly that we kept each other awake. So when we go <laughs> traveling together now, we go to separate rooms and we're quite happy doing that, you know, <laughs> spend a bit of extra money because we get on pretty well. I've overall. tried that philosophy with the snoring and taking a separate room, but you always cut up rough about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you snore very loudly, sure. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Sam, what's next on your list? Um, not talking to the locals. Um, in these days of technology, I think it gets even worse. And a lot of people don't talk to the locals because they're actually afraid of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, you treat people with respect and you get it back in spades. And not only not talking to the local people means that a traveller is missing an incredible number of opportunities. And I'm not talking about freebies. Because local knowledge usually rocks, you know, places to ride, things to see, snippets of local history that never make it into the guidebooks and things like that. Um, and when I, you know, back at early days was one of my trips when I realised how important it was. Um, I set myself a, a mid-year New Year's resolution and that was to have a conversation with at least one stranger every day. Um, and all of a sudden, because I was making that happen, all sorts of things that I would have just travelled on past suddenly started happening. And many of them were really funny or tasted very good. Um, so, so Sam, I do think, you do that with different languages as well? It's Sometimes it's just sign language. Mm-hmm. It's right. just smiling and a handshake. So that's what I mean. You push yourself, even though you don't speak the language, you're still going to stick to that and, and, and yeah. have, make a, have a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and sometimes great. it's the guy at the gas station or the lady behind the counter in the um, in the grocery store or whatever else it is. And just those few moments to have a conversation, be it in sign language or a few words in their language that you've learned, that sort of thing. And yeah, it just adds such quality to a day. And it is so tempting not to do that because we don't have to ask the way anymore. Um, we can use a, an app for a conversation if we want to. Well, actually, that's not abdicating. It's just making an opportunity. So start using it as fun rather than a necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, talking to strangers can also dramatically change the points of view that have been um, fed to us um, by our own environments. And that's another magic reason for, for going out um, traveling is to, to add perspective but I also think that you can actually make um, a local person's day because you've shared a little of your adventure in their day. We were talking just a few minutes back about, you know, treating local people with respect and not being that that ugly traveller. And this is one of the re- ways that you can create a, a great impression of where you come from by having conversations with local people. Um, I hope that everybody does that and I hope that everybody listening to this from now onwards whenever they're doing a journey makes a point of talking to a stranger every day yeah, I like that. wonderful that's, that's really good yeah uh, Brian I, I know you gave one there but do you have another one on your list um, no no that's it mate uh, I've done four okay. I think yeah yeah yep. Shirley I don't make mistakes Jim how many times do I have to tell you this <laughs> I, just, I just made that mistake again didn't I <laughs> Grant, you must have another mistake. Uh, well, Sam just did no, my careful work. how fast you are to jump to that. <laughs> yeah, I make a few. Sam just covered um, my next one, but I'll skip over that because he did a very good job on the same 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 thing. Basically, I thank you, sir. Yeah, I the phrase that I had it was kind of a reminder of of what you were saying is isolating for safety. Don't do that. Just. Talk to people, exactly. And 
you've said it all for the rest. Um, I wanted to go back to a technical one. We were talking about overloading and too much stuff. The number of people that go off with inadequately suspended bikes is just shocking. The number of stories I hear about suspension collapsing, shocks inadequate and all that all the time. Yeah. Make sure that especially if, if you're too up, your shocks are inadequate. That's just – they just are. They're not good enough. Um, if you're carrying a big load, your suspension's inadequate. You need to talk to locals or to, uh, to your mechanic do a little research on the internet, whatever, go to Horizons and check out the hub and discussions about suspension for your bike. And you'll discover that everybody that's broken a shock, and there's a lot of people that have broken a shock, will tell you that the aftermarket shock they bought was far superior to the original shock. And they had no idea how bad their original suspension was until they got good suspension. And all of a sudden that wallowy, sloppy, in badly handling all over the road bike that you had with a good shock on it, all of a sudden it's pretty good. It makes a big difference. So suspension, getting your suspension right for the load, I think is, is really critical and very overlooked, mostly because you buy a new bike and you think, ah, this is a great bike. This is the around the world bike. And you really don't want to spend another couple of $3,000 on good suspension. It just doesn't make any sense. What's wrong with what's on it? It's fine. Maybe not. I'm sitting here chin stroking about whether actually this is the most important bike prep that you can do. Yeah, I think it is, without a doubt. I mean, my second one following along that would be, for goodness sake, make sure there's a comfortable saddle on the thing. Oh, yes. (laughs) But most people figure that out fairly quickly because their butt hurts. What, What people don't realize with suspension is that the bike stock is designed for a roughly 160, 180-pound rider, and that's it. And if you look at BMW, I forget what the number is, but it seems to me like it's like 20 kilos is the total load for the saddlebags or something like that, or 15 kilos each, something like that. That's not very much. And then you put a passenger on, and then you put a top box, and you fill it to the eyeballs, and then you put a roll bag on top of the top box, and you are so far overloaded, it's ridiculous. The bike was never designed to take that load. So, yeah, you're overloading the suspension and shocks break, frames break. There's lots of people that have said bike broke in half and the suspension completely collapsed. The whole thing fell apart. The frame broke. The front end broke off. Why? Inadequately prepared suspension. It's bottoming out all the time and it handles badly. And as the bike wears, somewhere around the... 40,000, 50,000 kilometer mark, it's generally accepted in the suspension world that your shocks are worn out. That's it. It's time to either replace or rebuild. Now, stock original equipment suspension is very, usually very difficult to rebuild. Aftermarket ones are rebuildable multiple times. The shock I've got on my R80GS that we went around the world with, we rebuilt that shock once at 110,000 kilometers. And again at 200, and it's still on there and it's still fine. It's perfectly usable. It was expensive in the first place, but it's rebuildable. It works. The bike handled extremely well uh, for an overloaded R80GS. It was amazingly good. You just have to spend the money. You, You don't realize as a human that we're really, really good at adapting. And when the suspension is new, 
this is how the bike is. And as the bike and the suspension wears out, you adapt to how badly it's handling and you don't realize how bad it is. But if you get off a worn out suspension bike and onto a bike with good suspension, as is what happens when you buy good suspension bolted on, everybody always says, wow, I had no idea how bad it was. <laughs> that goes for everything. I mean, we, we talked about that before oh. one time about getting a mechanic or somebody's mechanical inclined to, to check your bike mm. because you you get, to, it's the, the, I've used this analogy before, the, the frog in the in the pot of water. You know, you, yeah. you don't notice that it's changing. You adapt to it. But but I think it's easy to forget with suspension. Yes. It's easy to, for, to forget with suspension that the suspension is really there to keep your tire in contact with the road, which is why it does so much of what you're saying there about change the handling. That like our, our ride comfort is, a, is an after effect yep. of keeping your tire totally. in contact with the road, the purpose of the suspension. So that's how important it is. Yeah, it's, it's everything. I think... Like Sam said, it's probably the number one thing about bike prep to get right, right off the bat. It's well worth yeah. it. You know, looking back on what we've talked about here, there wasn't a lot said about the motorcycle itself. You know, a, no. a lot is said about how we act on a trip and getting ready for a trip, but not a lot about the bike itself. And I know there was a joke made about the oil and the tire at the start and, and choosing the right bike, but not a lot has been said about the the bike itself and and I guess it sort of, you know, sheds a little light onto something for everyone, doesn't it? About the important things when it comes to motorcycle travel. Yeah. Most bikes are pretty good nowadays, Jim. And, oh, yeah. You know, most bikes will do the journey. And I, I couldn't agree more than with um, Grant about suspension. I've done that several times. In fact, I've just finished re-chroming the inside of the front shock in the, in the GS. Um, but, you know, that's, that's, that's life. But uh, most bikes... We'll do the journey. Anything nowadays, you just about do the journey. Mm-hmm. I've just been finishing. I just finished reading a a, a new book that's out um, called "Are We There Yet?" It's um, a lot of the history of the the CT one ten. You know, the Aussie posty bike and so on. And there's various anecdotes from people who've travelled long distance in them, and a stack of photos with the various things that people have done. I must admit, I really enjoyed it. Lots of lovely colour photos and some very quirky stories from people. Who wrote it? And that bike just... That was Jackie um, in Australia? That's right. Yeah. What's her last mm. name? I can't remember her last name. Oh. Uh, Jackie... Um, Verno? No. No, no it's yeah. not Jackie Verno. No, no, it's, no, no. Um, if you give me 30 oh, seconds, no. I can grab the book. Hang on a second. She called Posty Jacks. Yes. Posty Jacks. Yeah. Kennedy, yep. I think it is. Jackie Kennedy, Kennedy, that's Jack it. Kennedy. That's the one. Yep. That's a great book. She has such a sense of humor. Can yeah, Sam is just grabbing the book there. Jackie Kennedy. Very good. Jackie Kennedy. How long has the book been out for? Um, a couple of months, oh, two or no, three no, months, no. I think. Oh, that's no, all. Okay. But sorry, Sam, I, I interrupted you about that. Um, no, the foreword's by J. Peter the Bear Thorning. Thorning. Um, timing. But, uh, Peter yeah, timing. Timing. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, Timing. I pronounced that wrong. I've got the wrong glasses on. That's um, right. Yeah, but I mean, this this book just goes to show that um, you can you can travel on pretty much anything, and there are some any things that are more competent than others. But the right bike, you just adapt your journey according to what you're riding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your speed, your pace, how far you're going to travel in a day, it's all yep. adaptable to whatever you want and what you envision, and what the bike is happy doing, and what you're happy doing on that bike. 
Mm-hmm. I know you've just been talking to um, Helen Lloyd, Jim. Yes. Um, with her riding up through um, Africa on her Cerro. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, there's one place in the book where she's she's very pointy about the difference, um, the advantages of traveling on a small, lightweight bike in comparison to a bigger bike. Um, and I read that and I thought, oh, yeah, you're right. There are lots of advantages, but there are also other advantages of riding with a bigger bike. So it all comes down to what you as an individual fancy can afford, um, can get your hands on. Well, that, that's great. Thank you, everyone. That was that was really well done. I thought that we got some some great things in there for people to think about. I guess we'll jump into plugs here. Start with Brian. Brian, what have you got for a plug? Um, I've been struggling a bit uh, this this month. I've got to say, Jim. But um, yesterday I uh, went to Price Tires, and I don't know if anyone else has noticed, but bloody tires are getting so expensive nowadays Ooh, for motorcycles. I have. Um, Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I suggest people do a little bit more research on tyres. I'm actually putting on a Shinko on the on the uh, Honda 750 because one, it's half price for what I was putting on it before, and two, I've I've heard good reports. So my plug is to have a look around at um, what's available now because we do wear tyres out pretty quick, um, and uh, yeah, maybe look for options. But um, some of these lesser-known brands, the tyres are pretty good from what I hear. I've used one on the on the GS as well, and um, they wear pretty well. So, uh, yeah, just have a good look around for good tyres nowadays. Okay. Shirley, what have you got? Can I do a shout-out, Jim? Sure. Rather than a plug? There's a regular listener to Raw called Lala Barlow. And about a year ago, she contacted us and was asking for some tips about um, traveling through South America. She's a, a Melbourne girl. She's a musical comedy actress and has the most amazing red hair. Um, and she was planning on traveling on her own and she was just wanting a little bit of advice. She may have um, contacted Michelle as well, I think. Um, and I've been watching her on Facebook. She is having. Masses of great time in South America on her own, uh, just loving being on the road and enjoying life with the locals and getting out and doing everything. So uh, Raw was a great assistance to Lala, she said, and now she's uh, reaping the benefits. So well done, Lala. Enjoy the rest of your trip. Wow, fantastic. That's that's great, Shirley. Okay, uh, Michelle, you're next. Um, Do you mind if I do a shout out as well? (laughs) No, and I'll choose a different one, but but kudos to her. And I'm going to have to go check out all of her Facebook page and see how she's doing. That's wonderful. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I just wanted to say um, a thanks and and just kind of report back um, that I had a wonderful time um, when the Rangers uh, Ranger rally for Rangers rally for Rangers. Excuse me, rally for Rangers was actually in South Dakota um, recently and had an event where they did a, a fundraiser. Um, for some rangers in the national park that's part of uh, Native American uh, reservations. So they actually did some support of tribal um, officers and parks and rec conservation officers. So I joined the crew. I didn't do any riding with them, unfortunately. I was still working in, in busy peak season, but um, really had a fabulous time getting to meet some of the crew. I think they're going to be back next year. 
I think there's some, you know, other components that they're going to grow in relation to that event. But what a fun group of people and really nice to get to hang out with them and and just want to say how much I appreciate the work that they're doing um, that supports national parks and rangers that are really, you know, not always fully equipped the way that they should be to be able to do their jobs. And they're they're doing some great stuff. So thank you to Rally for Rangers for the work that they did in South Dakota recently. Oh, that's great. And it's, it's rallyforrangers.org, I believe is your website, is, correct? It is, and thank you. Right. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's that's good that you got to connect with them. Um, Sam, what have you got? Oh, mine has to be that I'm book signing as a guest for the Adventure Bike Shop at um, the UK's largest indoor motorcycle show. Um, and that's from the 18th to the 26th of November. I love this event, uh, not only because of the buzz around all the new bikes and the gear that's coming out, and not only because it's a chance to sign and sell books, but because it's a, a fantastic place to meet up with people. And I'm loving the thought of the chance to link up with raw listeners. So, yeah, come and say hello. The Adventure Bike Shop stand um, 18th to 26th of November at Motorcycle Live at the National Exhibition Centre. Ah, Motorcycle Live. Because you said at the start, you said the the biggest show in the UK, mm. but you didn't say what it was. I thought nobody's going to have a clue what you're talking about, Sam. <laughs> All the Brits do. <laughs> yeah, I know, that's what I mean. Do you know, one of the things that's so nice about this show is because it's based in the Midlands of England um, and it's right next door to an international airport, you get people flying in from all over the place to come to this show. Oh. It's, um, it's, it's that special. And um, all of the big boys, the big manufacturers, they're, they're there. And um, this year, there's a lot of new bikes coming out, particularly in the adventure motorcycle scene. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting the skinny on all of these. And that's one of the things that I like about a show like this. I don't have to go from one dealer to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, I can wander around and see all of these new bikes and the new gear and so on, um, you know, just on, in the same location. You said book signing. Are you going to have your t-shirts and stuff there too? I will have t-shirts and I'm also going to have um, some brand new books um, from other authors, um, books that will have only been out for a couple of weeks. So um, yeah. I'm not going to mention who. Come and find find me and find out. Well, we'll have cool. to hear what uh, what happens there. You're so lucky to have that show. I wish we had something similar here for us. But uh, yeah, is the way. Grant, what have you got? I was just going to mention that uh, the show we have here in British Columbia would fit in one corner of one of the rooms, the smaller buildings at the NEC. So, oh, is that yeah, right? we're yeah. so far off it. It's just, yeah. it's sad. Yep. Anyway, yes, um, I was also going to support um, Michelle on Rally for Rangers. They do some wonderful stuff, and I've been in contact with them recently. And their reminder that they have a sweepstakes where you can get uh, a free ride, I think it is. I can't remember the exact details, but there's a sweepstakes you can enter to get uh, to go on their one of their trips. So definitely check that out at Rally for Rangers. That's worthwhile. Um, and also a plug for the last Horizons Unlimited Travelers Meeting of the Year. Germany, autumn, November 2 to 5. The usual place in Germany, go to the website, horizonsunlimited.com slash events. See, I beat you there. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's the last event of the year. It's a little bit for the diehards because it's, it's November. It's getting chilly, but it's the last chance. And it's always a good time. Everybody there has a good time and enjoys it. So come on out and check that out. 
horizonsunlimited.com slash events. And we are working on a good slate of events for next year. I forget how many we've got, but it's, it's like 10 events next year. So lots happening. Check it out. And we hope to see you at an event next year, if not this year. Although I won't be in Germany, unfortunately. I'd love to be there, but no, can't do it. Well, very good, everyone. Thank you very much once again. Another great afternoon, morning, it's, evening, depending on where you are. But always good fun to, to sit down and have these conversations. Right. Thank you so much. We have such a good time. We do. Thank you. Yeah. It's just a shame we don't make any mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The mute's been on for the last two hours, hasn't it? <laughs> Jim, you did hit record, didn't you? <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> That's why he has the three recording systems, not the, the highfalutin technological gizmos that he was talking about. Everyone is increasing forgets. We got to go. Thanks, guys. Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. And thank you to my co-host, Sam Manicom, starting with Sam Manicom. He lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks that follow his eight-year motorcycle journey around the world. His website, sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks are from Australia. They also publish their own books on motorcycle travel. You can buy them wherever you get eBooks at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. Michelle Lampfair is a moto traveler that also has a couple of great moto travel books, The Butterfly Route and Tips for Traveling Overland in Latin America. Both of those titles available on Amazon. As well, she has a motel for us motorcyclists and anyone else called the Chalet Motel. You can find out more about that at chaletmotelcuster.com. And of course, Grant Johnson is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for our adventure motorcycling community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as a huge forum of dedicated travel travelers that connect you with other travelers. They also put on the hub meets around the world. You can see a worldwide list of hub meets at their website, horizonsunlimited.com. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you for listening. Join us again next time. Oh, and don't forget, if you want to get uh, your question or a topic suggestion in here, drop by our website. You can also look at the show notes. I have some more information at adventureriderradio.com. 